0: get to Isaiah chapter 7. Turn on God's Word whichever way you got to go, but get to Isaiah chapter 7. We are in a new study of the book of Isaiah. Last week, if you were here, we were in chapter 1, and we looked at how Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year because Jesus came to save us from our sins. So today, after chapter 1, we are in chapter 7. Now maybe you're thinking Jim got lost because two comes after seven. Well, here's what I'm doing for the next few weeks: is what's that? Two comes after one, which comes after seven, which is before 14. You know, so I don't know where I'm going. So next week you're gonna have to just show up and say, where well, I wonder where Jim's gonna be at today. I'm actually jumping around for the next few weeks during the Christmas season, so I am not going chronologically through chapter one, two, three, four like that. Um, um, next week, I'm actually going to be in chapter nine, and then I'm going to come back to chapter six. So it's going to be all over the place. But today, I am in chapter seven. Now, the verse that that why I'm in chapter seven, the verse that we're looking at is is primarily going to be verse fourteen where it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a child, a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. All right. Now, last participation. By a show of hands, how many of you have heard that verse before? Raise your hands. Pretty much everybody, okay. It's Christmas. We obviously we're going to see that. You probably have gotten a Christmas card with that verse on it, okay. That's a Christmas verse. That's what we pull out, and we know that's a Christmas verse, and you know we 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 attribute that to Jesus. Now, here's the second question I got I have for you. We all just said, hey, we all pretty much we know that verse by a show of hands. How many of you know the context for that verse? Nobody. Shouldn't that be alarm to us? Kind of think about that for a moment. I just, and I'm telling you, I bet if we went in every church of America and asked, how many of you know verse 14, 99.5% of Christians would raise their hands. Oh, I know that verse. And if I were to ask every church in America, how many of you know the context of that verse, 0.5% of Christians probably would raise their hands. Which means... We will pull that verse out and use it all day long. But we don't know what chapter seven is about. Biblical illiteracy, gang. We need to know what this verse is about in the context. And that's where I'm going to go today. I am going to preach chapter seven in context. Is that okay? All right. But my prayer is, and, and as I have, have preached to Paul a little bit, I pray that as I get through this, your faith is stronger today than it was when you walked in. Now, here's what I'm going to do. Normally, when I preach a, a set of verses, I will do it this pattern. Explain. Application. Explanation. Application. Explanation, application, and I'll work through the verses that way. I'm not going to do it that way today. I am going to go through the first 14 verses and explain it all, talk about it, and then at the end, I've got three application points that we're going to apply from these verses. Because I want you to know what the context of this. The, of why we keep pulling out verse 14 alone and not the rest of us. Why don't we know chapter 7? Well, I want us to see what chapter 7 is about So we understand what verse 14 is about and then apply it to our lives. All right. And so let's look at this thing. Let's get let's get some explanation um, as what this chapter is about. So let's begin with chapter seven, starting with verse one. Let me read verses one and two. It says in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah. Now, remember, um, as I in the opening of Isaiah, chapter one, Isaiah is the prophet to four kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, all right? And he was finally put to death with the king of Manasseh. And so these four kings, Isaiah was a prophet for, and now here he is in the the, the reign of Ahaz. Ahaz was the king of Judah. Now, remember, I, I explained this earlier, Israel at this time was divided into two countries, two nations. The northern kingdom, the, the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom was simply just Judah. The northern kingdom was still called Israel. All right? So that's, that's where we're looking at. That's what's going on here. So Ahaz is the king that is being referred to here. So it's, it goes on there in verse 1. It says, "Rezin, the king of Syria... And Pekah, the son of Remelia, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. Now, let's get the context of here. Now, in order to understand what's happening truly in chapter 7, not today, we're not going to do it, but in your time, you actually need to go back to 2 Kings chapter 16. And that gives the account of what's happening here. So what is happening is in chapter 16 of 2 Kings, these two kings, Rezin of Syria and Pekah of Israel, the northern kingdom, because even though Israel was still Jewish people, there was like animosity between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. So Syria and, and the northern part of Israel came together. And the reason was, is because there was even a bigger batter wolf in the distance, which was Assyria, and during these, this was about 730 years before Christ, and in this time, Assyria was the was the, was the the bad people, and Assyria was conquering everybody at this time. Well, Syria and the Northern Kingdom of Israel came together, and their goal was let's get Ahaz on board. And fight Assyria. Ahaz didn't want to do it. So Pekah of Israel. Resident of Syria. Said okay fine. Let's attack him. In chapter 16 of 2nd Kings. It says that they came against him. But was unable to conquer him. So. Syria and northern Israel. Allied. Attacked Judah. Southern Israel. But couldn't conquer him. But there was a problem. They wore out southern Israel. Judah was now depleted, okay? And now you have Syria and northern Israel encamped right at the border of Judah. And they're ready to come against it again. Now, look at verse two. So. It says, when the house of David was told, the house of David is referring to Judah. It says, Syria is in league with Ephraim. Ephraim was another name for Israel. It says, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of the people shook as trees in the forest shake before the wind. So a messenger comes to King Ahaz and says, we've got a problem. Syria and Israel are encamped again. And they are about to wage war against us. And now Ahaz and the people are frightened. And the reason why they're frightened is we don't have enough strength to fight. And we're going to be conquered. And we're going to be killed. And they are afraid. God knows this now. Now, here's the thing we need to understand about Ahaz, and you can get this from 2 Kings. Of the four kings that I said that Isaiah was a prophet for, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, Ahaz turned out to be the most wicked of the four. This account, what is happening right here, is actually taking place, I believe, in the very early stages of of Ahaz's reign as king of Judah. And God sees a window that he is going to try to speak to Ahaz to get him to change. Because when you read through 2 Kings chapter 16, you'll see how Ahaz became wicked. But in the early stages, right here, Ahaz isn't quite there yet. And so here's what's going to happen. Look at now verse 3. It says, And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Sheer-Shehub, your son. Sheer-Shehub was like a small boy at this time. Probably, you know, um, toddler, maybe like elementary school age, but a young child. And so Isaiah takes his son out there. He says, At the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway, this is an aqueduct. That Ahaz was now out inspecting. And in verse 4 it says, and say to him. So God is speaking through Isaiah. All right. What Isaiah is about to say, it's not his words. Whose words are they? They're going to be God's. He is just the messenger. He is just the voice. He is just the conduit. God is speaking through Isaiah. And here's what he tells Isaiah to say. He says, here's what I want you to tell him. And go out and say this. Be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. And do not let your heart be faint because of these smoldering stumps of firebrands. I love that. God is telling Ahaz, listen, dude, these two armies that you're afraid of, they're nothing but rubble to me. They're like like burning stumps, all right? Do not fear them. Do not be afraid of them because um, here's who they are to me. And that's what God is trying to get Ahaz to understand. He's like, I want you to see this problem not from your eyes but from mine. Here's how I view this, Ahaz. Don't worry about them. And he goes on. He says, I don't want you to look at them. They're just like smoldering stumps. He goes, don't be afraid of their fierce anger. Don't be afraid of resin and of Syria and the son of Remelia. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remelia has devised evil against, against you. And they're saying, let us go up to Judah and terrify it. The NIV actually says to tear it apart and let us conquer it. For ourselves have set up the son of Tebal, the king. So what he's saying, he's like, okay, Ahaz, these two kings have devised a plan. And they've devised a plan to come down into Judah and rip it apart. They're going to conquer you. They're going to conquer your people. That's what they're saying. But listen, Ahaz. I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to to, to worry about it. If you notice what he says there, he says in verse 3, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your hearts be faint. He's like, you know what, Ahaz? You're looking all around you, and it is chaos. We just sang the song, chaos is bounding. And he's like, the army is posed and it is at your back door, man. It is right there, Ahaz. And I see it and I know it. But here's what I want you to know, Ahaz they're like stumps to me. So calm yourself. It may be crazy on the outside, but I want you to be calm on the inside because they were afraid. They were frightened. Remember, it says that they were shaking like leaves on a tree when the wind blows. Do you ever feel like that at times? You're so afraid that you just feel like you're shaking? Well, this is where Ahaz is, the people of Israel. That's where they are because they see the armies. They see what's happening. They see it coming and they know we are dead. And God's like, chill out. Chill out. Chill out. And here's why. Look at what God says in verse 7. Thus says the Lord God. So Isaiah is saying this to this king. He's like, I, he's like, Ahaz, here's what God is telling you. So these armies are encamped. They're ready to come again. Look at what God says to Ahaz. It shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria, which is King Rezin is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of remalia which is Pekah, the king of Israel. Now, what is being said here? What, what's God saying here? Well, here's what we need to understand. In 734 BC, approximately about that time, is when this was happening. When these two armies started to besiege Judah, it's about 734 BC. What God is telling um, Ahaz here is that within a matter of a few years, Ahaz, these two kings are going to be dead. These two countries are going to be completely annihilated. And here's what happened. Within two years, Syria was already conquered by Assyria. And King Rezin, dead. Within 12 years, the northern part of of Israel, conquered. And Pekah, the king of Israel, dead. Now, when it says within 65 years... It says, within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. Here's what is amazing. These are prophecies that God is speaking to King Ahaz. And then within 65 years, at 722 BC, no, 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 I'm not sorry, 669 BC, 65 years later, Ephraim, northern Israel, was not even a people anymore. Because Assyria had assimilated all the people out of Israel and taken them back to Assyria. Do you remember when we were reading through the book of John and it said, talked about how the people, how the Israelite people did not like the Samaritans? Remember how Samaritans were always considered like dogs and, and, and these loser people? Why was that? This is it. When Assyria conquered northern Israel, because Samaria is in northern Israel, and when they conquered it and took all the people away and it, northern Israel ceased to exist, Assyria brought their people back and brought their people into northern Israel. And then Samaria became what Israel thought were dogs because they were a mixed breed. It was people from Assyria. And eventually when Israel came back, they mixed. That's why when you read about Israel not liking Samaria, it's because of this. So God is telling Ahaz, I've got this. Ahaz, these two kings are just nothing but burning stumps to me. And I know you think they're coming in to conquer you, but I am telling you, it is not going to happen. And that's why if you look at verse 9, at the end of verse 9, a very important transition verse here. God says to Ahaz, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. The NIV actually says, if you will not stand firm in faith, you will not stand at all. And what what God is trying to tell Ahaz, he's like, Ahaz, can you trust me? Can you believe me? Because if you can't believe me, if you don't trust me, Ahaz, you won't stand at all. in fact, God is so determined to convince Ahaz. Look at verse 10. And the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol and as high as the heaven. So God is so determined to capture the heart of Ahaz to get him to believe that my God can save us. God's like, okay, here's here. I'm, I'm doubling down. If you can't just take me at my word take me at what I can do. Ahaz, ask me for anything. Ask me to do anything. As high as the heavens are, as, as deep as hell is, I, whatever you want, whatever sign Ahaz, ask me for it. Wouldn't that be great if God showed up and said that to us? Do you think God just, hey, do you, can you trust me? Oh, I'm not sure. Well, then ask me for anything. You ask me for anything, and I'll do it for you to prove I am who I am. I would love that at times. And that's what God is doing to Ahaz. He wants to grab hold of Ahaz and shake him so bad that Ahaz is like, I can believe you. But look at what Ahaz says. Look at verse 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. And I will not put the Lord to the test. Good for you, Ahaz. Oh man, he's he's quoting scripture right there. He's like, No, 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 I'm not gonna do that. I'm not, I'm not gonna put the Lord to the test. He's quoting Deuteronomy. Because in the in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter six, it says to the Israelites, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So Ahaz, like he's being all he's being religious right now. He's being godly, he's quoting scripture. Well, here's the problem. He's quoting it wrong. Because in the book of Deuteronomy, the reason why that is put in there is because during Deuteronomy was during Moses' time, Moses and the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. And what was happening during that time was that the Israelites were testing God all the time. God was doing miraculous things, but they're like, eh, we don't believe him, we don't trust him. So here's what we want. We want God to do something so amazing like parting the Red Sea wasn't enough or bringing water out of a rock wasn't enough. Do you want to know what they wanted to test God for to give them what they wanted? Because in the book of um, Psalm, chapter 78, verse 18, it actually says this. It says, they willfully put God to the test by demanding food they craved. So they were like, Israel was like, well, yeah, God, you brought us through the Red Sea. That was pretty cool. We saw the plagues on Egypt. That was pretty cool. You brought, you know, you, you turned bitter water to sweet. You brought water. But those were cool, but that's not enough. We want you to give us some really good food. So if you'll prove yourself by giving us some meat, some bread, and satisfying our desires, we'll believe you. And God's like, Nope. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Well, here's the problem. That's not what's happening here. Who put the test on the board? God did. God's like, listen, boy, um, prove. Let me prove to you, son. Let me show you who I am. Let me show you what I can do so you will trust me. God put the thing on the table. Isaiah Ahaz is piously... Saying, I'm not going to test the Lord. And here's why. And here's where you got to go back to 2 Kings. Chapter 16. Ahaz. Already made a deal with the devil. And that devil. Was the king of Assyria. Because when. When. Syria and northern Israel. Already attacked. And they couldn't conquer Israel. Or conquer Judah. Judah was weakened. So what. What. Ahaz did was he had already devised a plan. He's like, I know God is who he is, but I'm going to trust in somebody different. And it says that he sent a message to the king of Assyria and said, let's partner together. Why don't you and I come in alliance And it says that he took all the gold and silver out of the temple of God, out of his own treasury, and gave it as a gift to the king of Assyria. And it says that the king of Assyria listened to him and came together. So when God is saying, dude, test me, let me ask you, do you think God already knew what he had done? Absolutely, he did. He knew he made it. But I still believe it was still early and his heart wasn't. Because if you notice, God says, I am the Lord, your God. There was still something in Ahaz's heart that was like, I'm there, but I'm not. It's like I got one foot in the church and one foot out, one foot in God, one foot out. And God is trying to change his heart, I believe. And he's like, test me. Prove, let me prove it to you. Let me show you I am so much greater than this dude. But Ahaz is like, no, no. I'm, I'm going to trust in him. That would be like me and the elders going, standing up before you guys and saying, hey, we're, we're done trusting God. Um, we are going to take all of our money in, 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 our, in, our, in our account. And we're going to hire a ruthless business leader. And we're going to let him come in, and he's going to tell us how to do and manage church. And he's going to show us, and we're going to trust him. How many of you think that would be a good plan? Everybody say, bad plan. Bad plan. That's what Ahaz has done. He's like, God, I, I know you can do a lot of things, but I'm not going to trust you. I'm going to put, my, put my, all my eggs in, in, in the, 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 the ruthless leader basket. So... Look at verse 14. No, no, verse 13. Now God is still speaking through Isaiah. And it says, and he said, meaning Isaiah said, but God's speaking through him. He says, hear then, O house of David. Now he moves from just speaking to Ahaz to everybody. To all of his royal court, to anybody in there, around there. Now he's speaking to the entire nation of Judah. He says, is it too little that you weary men that you now weary my God also? It's almost like God's like going, oh, my gosh, you really are just testing me, aren't you? He goes, you're wearying me. But here's what God says. Therefore, the therefore is Ahaz, because you won't trust me. Ahaz, because you've made a deal and a pact with the devil Ahaz, because you you think I'm not big enough, here's what I'm going to do. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. When God spoke those words to Isaiah, you got to remember this is God himself saying this. When he says this, this is a prophecy, a dual prophecy. And it's simultaneous prophecy, and what that means is there was an immediate prophecy that was going to be fulfilled, and a futuristic prophecy that was going to be fulfilled. The futuristic prophecy is pertained to who? Jesus. Okay, we know that even in Matthew chapter one, it says for a a virgin was born and gave birth. You know, we we know from the New Testament that this is referring to Jesus, so we can look back and know this is the futuristic prophecy of Jesus 700 and some years later. But the question we got to ask is, how does the prophecy of something 700 years later affect Ahaz? It doesn't. That's why this is a dual prophecy, futuristic and immediate. So in Ahaz's time, there was a virgin who had a son named Emmanuel. And you're looking, I don't see that in there. Flip to chapter 8. Let me show you this. Now chapter 8 comes into play. Look at verse 3. Isaiah says, I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Now, when it says that he went to the prophetess, Isaiah was married before. And historians believe that Isaiah was married, his wife. Remember, and when he went to Ahaz, he had his little son, little, little Sherub, whatever his name was. All right. They went to Ahaz. His wife, who was the, 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 the mother of Sherub, died. And he goes to the prophetess and he marries her. And this woman was a virgin. And here's why. And this is why this, this, this son becomes Emmanuel. And it says, call his name. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. It's really long. But that is not Emmanuel. But let's go down. He says, before the boy knows how to cry, my father, my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away by the king of Assyria. So now he's prophesying about Assyria, what's going to happen. He says, "The Lord spoke to me again, because the people has refused the waters of Shiloh and the flow and, and, and that flow gently and rejoice over Resin and the son of Amelia. Therefore behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria, and it will rise over all its channels and go over its banks, and it will sweep into Judah." He's prophesying the fact that Assyria is coming down to Judah now. And it's just going to sweep over Judah just like water over banks of river. And in verse 8, and it says, and it will sweep on into Judah and it will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck and outspread wings will find the breath of your land. What's the next two words? Amen. O Emmanuel. And then if you get going down, it says, be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be scattered. Take counsel together, but it, will come to, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. You see, when he gives in verse 14 of chapter 7, when he says the prophecy, a son will be born, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, that word Emmanuel means God with us. You want to know what it literally means? Even a better literal translation? With us is God. When I read that, I'm like, I like that. With us is God. And that's what God was trying to get through to Ahaz. I am with you, Ahaz. I'm with you because if you knew I'm with you, you would realize these two armies are stumps. If you knew I was with you, Ahaz, you wouldn't worry about what they're saying. God, if you knew I was with you, Ahaz, you would know this will not happen. But Ahaz refused to believe God was with them. He chose not to believe God. So God says, okay, fine. I'm going to give you a sign, Ahaz. There will be a virgin, and she will give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. We know in the future that was Jesus, but in the immediate it was another son of Isaiah. And he was called Emmanuel. And why was he called Emmanuel? Why would he be assigned to Ahaz? Because if you look at chapters, we already saw in chapter 8. But if you also look at chapter 7. Look at verse 16. And he's talking about this boy. He says, before the boy knows how to refuse evil and choose good. That's, I, that's really when, when Jewish boys had their bar mitzvah. It was about the age of 12 or 13. That was the age that they considered them to be a man. And at that age, that boy would know the difference between good and bad, good and evil. That's what that is saying. So when this boy is old enough to know, choose between good and evil, it says the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The land is Judah. It says, and the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. And it's the king of Assyria. You see, Ahaz made a pact with this king. But there's going to come a day because Ahaz refused to believe God. Now, this refers to 2 Chronicles chapter Chapter 28. And if you read that, you'll see the conquering of Ahaz. You see, because God gave Ahaz a chance to trust him. And because he refused to trust him, Assyria would eventually... The king of Assyria was like, dude, I thank you for the money, but I don't like you. I'm going to kill you anyway. And Assyria just made their way down from Syria through northern Israel... And eventually to Israel, just like a tsunami flooding the land. And here's why this prophecy of a, a boy named Emmanuel. When Assyria finally will attack Judah, Ahaz will see this boy. And this boy will be about 12, 13, 14 years old. And every time he sees him, what's he gonna know? His name's Emmanuel. And Ahaz is going to have this thought when he's being conquered by Assyria. This didn't have to happen. If I would have just trusted God, this would not be happening. If I would have just believed God with us and trusted him, we would not be conquered right now. That boy was going to be a sign to Ahaz. That every time you see him, you would know all you had to do is trust God. And you chose not to. You chose to believe in a king over the king. And you lost everything. That is the context of that verse. Do you see why it's important to understand the whole context of chapter 7? Just to take that verse out. you, You don't see it. The idea is, is, here's the takeaways now for you and me. There's three takeaways, okay? Here's how you and I, knowing that God is with us. God was with Israel, but not in a, in it, like, it was almost like a, a, a non-tangible way. When Jesus came, it was God coming to us. God with us. All right, so when you and I know Christ as Savior, guess how you know Him as Savior, but how is God with you tangibly now? Holy Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within you. God, the Holy Spirit, dwells with you. God with you. You understand that? Holy Spirit's in you because if you know Christ, He dwells within you. So here are three takeaways, knowing that God is with us. Here's the first one. If I know God is with me, I can trust in what he says. I can trust in what he says. All through this text, what did, what, through these 14 verses, what did we keep seeing? Here's what God has to say. Ahaz, here's what God has to say. Thus says the Lord to God. Ahaz, listen to what God has to say. And it's just repeated. Here's the word of God. Now, here's the thing. God himself did not verbally speak to Ahaz. It wasn't like Ahaz was sitting there and God thundered from heaven. How did he hear God speak? Through the prophet. Now, do you think God changed the voice of Isaiah like, Ahaz? No. I'm pretty sure Isaiah just walked up and said, hey, God has a message for you. And here it is. And he just spoke who he was as a man, same tone. He wasn't in some, like, some kind of trance or anything. I don't think he was like, Ahaz. Thus says the Lord thy God. I'm pretty sure it was like Ahaz, thus says the Lord thy God. He will be with you. Can you trust him? And Ahaz in that moment had to believe. Can I trust what is coming out of the mouth of that guy? Or can I not? Show your hands. How many of you have the verbal voice of God speaking to you every day? I mean, you just God's like showing up at your house going, Hey, um, uh, I got a word for you. And God's speaking to you. Not like, well, I I sense him in my heart. No, I'm talking verbally out loud as like you hear me talking right now. You hear God saying that to you. Anybody? No, it's not happening. Now, it doesn't mean it can't happen. If God wanted to speak verbally, like out loud, you heard the voice of God. How many of you know he could do that? But... How does God generally, most of the time, usually the high percentage time, speak to you and me? Through His Word. When you read this, when you study this, when you hear it preached, guess what you are hearing? And I've said this a few different times you are hearing the voice of God, all right? So when you read this, you you, you have that morning time. You got your cup of joe and you're reading the word of God. You're reading the Bible. You're like Ahaz at that moment. Do I believe this or do I not? Is this the word of God or is it not? How many of you know there's no middle ground? You don't go to a, an Olympic-sized swimming pool at the YMCA and ask the lifeguard, Hey, which end is the non-chlorinated pool? <laughs> they will look at you and go, it's all chlorinated. Well, I just want the non-chlorinated. You won't get the non It's either all chlorinated or what? It's not. This is either... All God's word. Or it's not. And every day when you read this, every day when you study this, every day when you hear it preached in that moment, you and I have a choice to make. Can I when I know God is with me? Jesus is my savior. The Holy Spirit dwells within me. I know he's with me. I can trust and believe in what he says. So if you know God is with you, can you believe this thing? Because like I said, unless God is verbally speaking to you, the way you hear him is through the pages of this book. Can you trust in what he says? Here's the second thing. The second takeaway of knowing that God is with me is this I can have a stillness in the storm. I can have a stillness in the storm. Isn't that one of the first things that Isaiah was told to go tell Ahaz? These people are, are shaking, they're afraid, they're frightened. As I said, they're like, they're like leaves on the tree being blown. They see the army. They see the attack coming. They see the threat. They see, man, the storm is approaching. The pain is coming. I see this thing and they are afraid. And the very first thing that Isaiah is supposed to tell him is be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart be faint. And the reason is, is God's trying to tell him, Ahaz, if you know me and you know I'm with you, why are you afraid? If you know I'm with you, Ahaz, why are you worried? Why are you, why are you shaking? Why, are you, why is your heart faint? Why, are you so, why is there so much turmoil inside? I said this to Paul this Saturday morning. For some reason, we think if I'm not worried and I'm not anxious about my problem, it means I don't care. No, here's what it means. When I'm worrying and I'm anxious, it's not that I don't care. It's that I want to be in control. Because if I'm still worried about something, I mean, I mean, you notice the things that, that God is saying to Ahaz is not about what he does on the outside. It's about his inside. It's about his heart. It's about what's the, the quaking inside. It's the faintness of his heart. That's where he's trying to hit. Because here's why. If my inside is in turmoil, my outside is going to be in turmoil. If I am restless on the inside, I'm going to approach life with restlessness. And, and so God is trying to convince Ahaz, chill out. When we worry and we are anxious, what we're saying, what we are truly saying, God I don't trust you because worry and anxiety is simply me looking and focusing and trying to hold on to this thing and controlling it. Why do you think Jesus, when he was preaching on on the Mount and and, and in chapter 6 of Matthew, he's like, why do you worry about life? Why do you worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear, where you're going to live? Why do you worry about it? And here's what he says. Do you not know that God knows what you need? And if God takes care of the lilies of the field, if God takes care of the birds in the air, will he not take care of you? It's a rhetorical question, but the question is what God wants to know. And Jesus is asking those people is, can you or can you not trust God? He's like, if you trust God, you're not going to worry. But when you don't trust God, you're going to worry. That's why Peter says, listen, or or Paul says in in, in Philippians chapter 4, he's like, listen, listen, cast all your anxiety onto the Lord. Cast it all. And here's why he's able to say that. He says, because the Lord is near. God's near. How near is He? He is with you. And so, listen, the way you and I have peace in the storm is I've got to keep giving it all to God. Now, listen, and I've said this before if there are things that you can change in your circumstance, change it. You know, I like the, this one would have aged me real fast, the old 1970s song from REO Speedwagon. Roll with the changes. If you're tired of the same old story, turn the page. So if you can do something in your situation, change it. But if you can't, if you can't change how your kid is living, why are you worried about it? If you can't change how your job and how your boss is cutting jobs, if you can't change that, why are you worried about it? If you can't change your circumstances, if you can't change the direction of what is happening in your life, no matter what you do, you can't change it. Why do we worry about it then? Shouldn't we be rolling that off onto the Lord? God, I can't change this. I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know how this is going to change. I mean, God, the only thing I know is I've got to trust You. And i got to believe your word. And the reason why I know I can believe your word and I can trust you is because I know you're with me. And when you and I can come to that place, I mean, don't answer, don't answer out loud, but do you ever get tired of the restless, the, the unquietness inside? Do you ever get tired of the anxiousness? Do you ever get tired of, of feeling that like you're, you're, you're just being torn apart inside? If you are tired of that, you've got to figure out and go, God, how can I just give this to you? Because all I know is God told Ahaz and these people when they were about to be conquered and killed, don't fear. Don't let your heart be faint. Be quiet. Be still. Know that I am God. And here's the third thing about knowing God is with me is this I can be assured that God is in control. Again, this goes back to verse seven. When God says to Ahaz, It shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. And, and, and then he gives the prophecy of what's going to happen to these kings and their countries. I don't know about you. When I read that, that's telling me um, God's got this thing, doesn't he? I mean, he's forecasting what's going to happen to these people. He's telling Ahaz, it's not going to happen, dude. Assyria will not hit you. Syria's not going to hit you. And Israel's not going to hit you. If you can just trust me. Can you trust that I'm in control of it all? Can you believe that I am in control of everything? Yesterday morning, I was reading in the book of Psalm, chapter 77. And I came across this verse. And when I read it, it just spoke measures to me. And I connected it with this message. He says, your ways, your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Let that sit there for a second. The psalmist is writing about when God took Israel through the, the Red Sea. Remember, in that time when they came to the Red Sea, and there was an army behind them and the sea before them. And God's like, Hey, Moses, lift your hand, you're going through the waters. Let me ask you, how many of the people were in that time were like, Oh, that makes sense. Let's do it. No, in their mind, it makes no sense. How does this work? God is going to take him through the sea. Your path was through the great waters. And here it is. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. In their minds, I don't see how this is going to work. I don't know how this is going to work. I don't understand how in the world we're going through the water. I don't get it. And when the the waters parted, they went in. And here's what they did not see. They didn't see God manifest himself and walk beside them. Your footprints were unseen, God. But yet you are still leading us. You were still with us. Can you believe that there are times where God's path for your life has to be? through the water can you believe that there are times where god's way for your life is through the mighty great waters that's hard isn't it because let's be honest don't we want to figure god out don't we constantly want to figure out why this is happening don't we want to at least, hey, God, I think you owe me an, exp- an explanation to this. And, what, and, and, and the thing is, we're going through the water. We're going through the storm. We're going through the trial. We're going through the pain. We're going through the hurt, whatever it is. And here's the thing. You may not know why you're in that thing. You may not understand. You may not see the answer. You may not feel anything. And your circumstances may change or they may not change. But can you believe, even though I don't see, I don't feel, I don't know, I don't understand, God is with me, even when I don't see his footprints, even when I don't hear things, even when I don't see things, God is still with me. And I got to believe that he is in control of this thing. I got to believe that, man, he, he led me into this water for a reason, He's led me into these financial waters. He's led me into these relational waters. He's led me into these child waters. He's led me into health waters. Whatever it is, man, God has led me into this thing. And I don't see his footprints. But I know he's with me. And I know he has this in control. Because he is the sovereign Lord. I like, I'm going to close with this. Commentator J.C. Riley says it this way, and he writes He says, Emmanuel promises us to be with us daily, to be with us daily to pardon and forgive, to be with us daily to sanctify and strengthen, to be with us daily to defend and keep, to be with us daily to lead and to guide, to be with us in sorrow, to be with us in joy. To be with us in sickness, to be with us in health, to be with us in life, to be with us in death, to be with us in time, and to be with us in eternity. Loved ones, Jesus is our Emmanuel. And Jesus made one extraordinary promise. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. He told the disciples when he finally ascended back to heaven, what did he say? I will be with you to the end of time. Listen, loved ones, I know some of you are going through it. I know some of you have health issues and you're like, why is God not changing these things? Some of you have financial issues. Why is God not changing these things? Some of you have adult children who grew up in the church and have just walked away and said, I don't want nothing to do with that. I don't want nothing to do with you. And maybe you're like, why is God not changing these things? I don't have an answer for you. And let's be honest, God is not obligated to give us an answer. God wants one thing. And last week I said... What what's the, the, the least common denominator when it comes to what makes, you know, Christmas so the, it was sin. Remember when it comes to this stuff, the least common denominator that God wants from us is this. Can you believe me? Can you trust me? And just like he says to Ahaz. Can you know I'm, I'm in control of this thing? Can you you put your faith in me when nothing else makes sense? Can you put your faith in me when it doesn't sound right, when it doesn't seem right, when when nothing is adding up? Can you have that peace inside that says, I don't get it, but I don't have to because my God's got it? And isn't that what really matters? And if you can keep telling yourself, God, you have this. God, you have this. And God, I'm going to trust in you. Your timing is right. Your ways are right. I don't understand it. I don't get it. But God, you've got it. So God, give me that peace. Help me not to be restless. Help me not to be torn up and inside anymore. God, help me to have a, just a quietness. When everything around me is in complete chaos, I know I don't have to have complete chaos inside. And that comes... When we just put our faith completely in the work of our God. Amen? Why don't we all stand, close in a word of prayer.